CD 8 She held up an exquisitely thin hand and curled the thumb and forefinger into a ring, which she held up to her eye. And now someone comes, she said, with armour that doesn't fit, and a sword she cannot use, and an axe she can hardly even lift. Because it is so romantic, is it not? What is her name? Magrat Garlic, said Granny. She is a mighty enchantress, is she? She's good with herbs, the Queen laughed. I could kill her from here. Yes, said Granny, but that wouldn't be much fun, would it? Humiliation is the key, the Queen nodded. You know, you think very much like an elf. I think it will soon be dawn, said Granny. A fine day, clear light. Not soon enough. The Queen stood up. She glanced at King Verence for a moment and changed. Her dress went from red to silver, catching the torchlight like glittering fish scales. Her hair unravelled and reshaped itself, became corn blonde, and a subtle ripple of alterations flowed across her face before she said, What do you think? She looked like Magrat, or at least like Magrat wished she looked, and maybe as Verence always thought of her. Granny nodded. As one expert to another, she recognised accomplished nastiness when she saw it. "'Are you going to face her like that?' she said. "'Certainly. Eventually. At the finish. "'But don't feel sorry for her. She's only going to die. "'Would you like me to show you what you might have been?' "'No. I could do it easily. There are other times than this. "'I could show you Grandmother Weatherwax. "'No. It must be terrible knowing that you have no friends, "'that no one will care when you die.' "'that you never touched a heart?' "'Yes. "'And I'm sure you think about it "'in those long evenings when there's no company "'but the ticking of the clock and the coldness of the room, "'and you open the box and look at—' "'The Queen waved a hand vaguely as Granny tried to break free. Mm, "'Don't kill her,' she said. "'She is much more fun alive.' "'Magrat stuck the sword in the mud and hefted the battle-axe. Woods pressed in on either side. The elves would have to come this way. There looked like hundreds of them, and there was only one Magrat Garlic. She knew there was such a thing as heroic odds. Songs and ballads and stories and poems were full of stories about one person single-handedly taking on and defeating a vast number of enemies. Only now it was dawning on her that the trouble was that they were songs and ballads and stories and poems because they dealt with things that were, not to put too fine a point on it, untrue. She couldn't, now she'd time to think about it, ever remember an example from history. In the woods to one side of her, an elf raised its bow and took careful aim. A twig snapped behind it. It turned. The bursar beamed. Whoopsie-daisy, old trouser! My bean's all runny! The elf swung the bow. A pair of prehensile feet dropped out of the greenery, gripped it by the shoulders and pulled it upwards sharply. There was a crack as its head hit the underside of the branch. Ooh. Move right along. On the other side of the path, another elf took aim, and then its world flowed away from it. This is the inside of the mind of an elf. Here are the normal five senses, but they are all subordinate to the sixth sense. There is no formal word for it on the disc world because the force is so weak that it is only ever encountered by observant blacksmiths who call it the love of iron. 
Navigators might have discovered it, were it not that the disc's standing magical field is much more reliable. But bees sense it, because bees sense everything. Pigeons navigate by it, and everywhere in the multiverse elves use it to know exactly where they are. It must be hard for humans, forever floundering through inconvenient geography. Humans are always slightly lost. It's a basic characteristic. It explains a lot about them. Elves are never lost at all. It's a basic characteristic. It explains a lot about them. Elves have absolute position. The flow of the silvery force dimly outlines the landscape. Creatures generate small amounts of it themselves and become perceptible in the flux. Their muscles crackle with it. Their minds buzz with it. For those who learn how, even thoughts can be read by the tiny local changes in the flow. For an elf, the world is something to reach out and take. Except for the terrible metal that drinks the force and deforms the flux universe like a heavy weight on a rubber sheet, and blinds them and deafens them, and leaves them rudderless and more alone than most humans could ever be. The elf toppled forward. Ponderstibbons lowered the sword. Almost everyone else would not have thought much about it, but Ponder's wretched fate was to look for patterns in an uncaring world. But I hardly touched him, he said, to no one except himself. And I kissed her in the shrubbery where the nightingales sing it, you bastards! Two, three. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where they'd been. They were not fully certain who they were. But the Lancra Morris men had reached some sort of state now where it was easier to go on than stop. Singing attracted elves, but singing also fascinated them. The dancers whirled and hopped, gyrated and skipped along the paths. They pranced through isolated hamlets where elves left whoever they were torturing to draw closer in the light of the burning buildings. With a whack foddler did you do, Singarula to Riley! Six sticks did their work right on the beat. Where are we going, Jason? I reckon we've gone down Slippery Hollow and are circling back towards the town, said Jason, hopping past Baker. Keep going, Carter. The rain's got in the keys, Jason. Don't matter. They don't know the difference. It's good enough for folk music. I think I brought my stick on that last one, Jason. Just keep dancing, Tinker. Now, lads, how about gathering peas cods? We might as well get some practice in since we're here. There's some people up ahead, said Taylor as he skipped past. I can see torches in that. Human, two, three, or more elves. I don't know. Jason spun and danced back. Is that you, our Jason? Jason cackled as the voice echoed among the dripping trees. It's our man, and our Sean, and, and lots of people. We've made it, lads. Jason, said Carter. Yes? I ain't sure I can stop. The Queen examined her face in a mirror attached to the tent pole. Why, said Granny, what is it you see? Whatever I want to see, said the Queen. You know that. And now, let us ride to the castle, tie her hands together, but leave her legs free. It rained again, gently, although round the stones it turned to sleet. The water dripped off Magrat's hair and temporarily unravelled the tangles. Mist coiled out from among the trees where summer and winter fought. Magrat watched the elven court mount up. She made out the figure of Verence moving like a puppet, and Granny Weatherwax tied behind the Queen's horse by a long length of rope. The horses splashed through the mud. They had silver bells on their harnesses, dozens of them. The elves in the castle, the night of ghosts and shadows, all of this was just a hard knot in her memory. 
but the jingling of the bells was like a nail file rubbed across her teeth. The Queen halted the procession a few yards away. "'Ah, the brave girl,' she said. "'Come to save her fiancé all alone? How sweet! "'Someone kill her?' "'An elf spurred its horse forward and raised its sword. "'Magrat gripped the battle-axe. "'Somewhere behind her a bowstring slammed against wood. "'The elf jerked. So did one behind it. "'The arrow kept going, curving a little as it passed over one of the fallen dancers.' Then, Sean Ogg's ragbag army charged out from under the trees, except for Ridcully, who was feverishly trying to rewind his crossbow. The Queen did not look surprised. "'And there's only about a hundred of them,' she said. "'What do you think, Esme Weatherwax? A valiant last stand. It's so beautiful, isn't it? I love the way humans think. They think like songs.' "'You get down off that horse!' Magrat shouted. The Queen smiled at her. Sean felt it. Ridcully felt it. Ponder felt it. The glamour swept over them. Elves feared iron, but they didn't need to go near it. You couldn't fight elves because you were so much more worthless than them. It was right that you should be so worthless, and they were so beautiful and you weren't. You were always the one metaphorically picked last for any team, even after the fat kid with one permanently blocked runny nostril. You were always the one who wasn't told the rules until you'd lost, and then wasn't told the new rules. You were the one who always knew that everything interesting was happening to other people. All those hot, self-consuming feelings were rolled together. You couldn't fight an elf. Someone as useless as you, as stolid as you, as human as you, could never win. The universe wasn't built like that. Hunters say that just sometimes an animal will step out of the bushes and stand there, waiting for the spear. Magret managed to half-raise the axe, and then her hand slumped to her side. She looked down. The correct attitude of a human before an elf was one of shame. She had shouted so coarsely at something as beautiful as an elf. The Queen dismounted and walked over to her. "'Don't touch her,' said Granny. The Queen nodded. "'You can resist,' she said. "'But you see, it doesn't matter. "'We can take Lancre without a fight. "'There is nothing you can do about it. "'Look at the brave little army standing like sheep. "'Humans are so enthusiastic.' Granny looked at her boots. "'You can't roll while I'm alive,' she said. "'There's no trickery here,' said the Queen. "'No silly women with bags of sweets.' "'You noticed that, did you?' said Granny. "'Githa meant well, I expect, daft old biddy. "'Mind if I sit down?' "'Of course you may,' said the Queen. "'You are an old woman now, after all.' She nodded to the elves. Granny subsided gratefully onto a rock, her hands still tied behind her. "'That's the thing about witchcraft,' she said. "'It doesn't exactly keep you young, but you do stay old for longer. "'Whereas you, of course, do not age,' she added. "'Indeed we do not. "'But I suspect you may be capable of being reduced.' "'The Queen's smile didn't vanish, but it did freeze, "'as smiles do when their owner is not certain about what has just been said "'and isn't sure what to say next.' "'You meddled in a play,' said Granny. "'I believe you don't realise what you've done. "'Plays and books, you've got to keep an eye on the buggers. "'They'll turn on you. "'I mean to see that they do.' 
She nodded amicably at an elf covered in woad and badly tanned skins. Ain't that so, fairy peas blossom? The queen's brows knotted. But that is not his name, she said. Granny Weatherwax gave the queen a bright smile. We shall see, she said. There's a lot more humans these days and lots of them live in cities and they don't know much about elves one way or another. And they've got iron in their heads. Yet too late. No, humans always need us, said the queen. They don't. Sometimes they want you. That's different. But all you can give them is gold that melts away in the morning. There are those who would say that gold for one night is enough. Nah. Better than I and your stupid old hag, you stupid child who has grown older and done nothing and been nothing. Nah. It's just soft and shiny, pretty to look at, and no damn use at all, said Granny, her voice still quite calm and level. But this is a real world, madam. That's what I had to learn, and real people in it. You got no right to him. People have got enough to cope with just being people. They don't need you swanking around with your shiny hair and shiny eyes and shiny gold going sideways through life. Always young, always singing, never learning. You didn't always think like this. And that was a long time ago. And my lady, old I may be, and hag I may be, but stupid I ain't. You're no kind of goddess. I ain't against gods and goddesses in their place, but they've got to be the ones we make ourselves. Then we can take them to bits for the parts when we don't need them anymore, see? And elves far away in fairyland, well, maybe that's something people need to get themselves through the iron times, but I ain't having elves here. You make us want what we can't have, and what you give us is worth nothing. And what you take is everything, and all there is left for us is the cold hillside and emptiness and the laughter of the elves. She took a deep breath. So, bugger off. Make us, old woman. Well, I thought you'd say that. We don't want the world. Just this little kingdom will do, and we will take it whether it wants us or not. Over my dead body, madam... If that is a condition. The Queen lashed out mentally like a cat. Granny Weatherwax winced and leaned backwards for a moment. Madam? Yes, said the Queen. There aren't any rules, are there? Rules? What are rules? said the Queen. I thought so, said Granny. Githa Og? Nanny managed to turn her head. Yes, Esby? My box. You know, the one in the dresser. You'll know what to do. Granny Weatherwax smiled. The Queen swayed sideways as if she'd been slapped. "'You have learned,' she said. "'Oh, yes. You know I never entered your circle. I could see where it led. So I had to learn, all my life, the hard way. And the hard way's pretty hard, but not so hard as the easy way. I learned from the trolls and the dwarfs and from people, even from pebbles.' The Queen lowered her voice. You will not be killed, she whispered. I promise you that. You'll be left alive to dribble and gibber and soil yourself and wander from door to door for scraps, and they'll say, There goes the mad old woman. They say that now, said Granny Weatherwax. They think I can't hear. But inside, said the Queen, ignoring this, 
Inside I'll keep just a part of you which looks out through your eyes and knows what you've become. And there will be none to help, said the Queen. She was closer now, her eyes pinpoints of hatred. No charity for the mad old woman. You'll see what you have to eat to stay alive, and we'll be with you all the time inside your head, just to remind you. You could have been the great one. There was so much you could have done, and inside you'll know it, and you'll plead all the dark night long for the silence of the elves. The Queen wasn't expecting it. Granny Weatherwax's hand shot out, pieces of rope falling away from it, and slapped her across the face. You threaten me with that, she said, me, who am becoming old? The elf woman's hand rose slowly to the livid mark across her cheek. The elves raised their bows, waiting for an order. Go back, said Granny. You call yourself some kind of goddess, and you know nothing, madam, nothing. What don't die can't live. What don't live can't change. What don't change can't learn. The smallest creature that dies in the grass knows more than you. You're right, I'm older. You've lived longer than me, but I'm older than you, and better than you. And, madam, that ain't hard. The Queen struck wildly. The rebounded force of the mental blow knocked Nanny Og to her knees. Granny Weatherwax blinked. A good one, <coughs> she croaked, but still I stand, and still I'll not kneel, and still I have strength. An elf keeled over. This time the Queen swayed. Oh, and I have no time for this, she said, and snapped her fingers. There was a pause. The Queen glanced around at her elves. They can't fire, said Granny, and you wouldn't want that, would you? So simple an end. You can't be holding them. You have not that much power. Do you want to find out how much power I have, madam? Here on the grass of Lancre? She stepped forward. Power crackled in the air. The Queen had to step back. My own turf, said Granny. She slapped the Queen again, almost gently. What's this, said Granny Weatherwax. Can't you resist me? Where's your power now, madam? Gather your power, madam. You foolish old crone. It was felt by every living creature for a mile around. Small things died. Birds spiralled out of the sky. Elves and humans alike dropped to the ground, clutching their heads. And in Granny Weatherwax's garden, the bees rose out of their hives. They emerged like steam, colliding with one another in their rush to get airborne. The deep gunship hum of the drones underpinned the frantic roars of the workers. But louder than the drones was the piccolo piping of the queens. The swarms spiralled up over the clearing, circled once and then broke and headed away. Others joined them, out of backyard skeps and hollow trees, blackening the sky. After a while, order became apparent in the great circling cloud. The drones flew on the wings, throbbing like bombers. The workers were a cone made up of a thousand tiny bodies, and at its tip a hundred queens flew. The fields lay silent after the arrow-shaped swarm of swarms had gone. Flowers stood alone and uncourted. Nectar flowed undrunk. Blossoms were left to go fertilise themselves. The bees headed towards the dancers. Granny Weatherwax dropped to her knees, clutching at her head. No! Oh, but yes, said the Queen. Esme Weatherwax raised her hands. The fingers were curled tightly with effort and pain. Magrat found she could move her eyes. The rest of her felt weak and useless, even with chainmail and the breastplates. So this was it. 
She could feel the ghost of Queen Inchi laughing scornfully from a thousand years ago. She'd not give up. Magrat was just another one of those dozens of simpering, stiff women who'd just hung around in long dresses, ensuring the royal succession. Bees poured down out of the sky. Granny Weatherwax turned her face towards Magrat. Magrat heard the voice clearly in her head. You want to be queen? And she was free. She felt the weariness drop away from her, and it also felt as though pure Queen Inchi poured out of the helmet. More bees rained down, covering the slumped figure of the old witch. The queen turned and her smile froze as Magrat straightened up, stepped forward, and with hardly a thought in her head, raised the battle axe and brought it around in one long sweep. The queen moved faster. Her hand snaked out and gripped Magrat's wrist. Oh, yes, she said, grinning into Magrat's face. Really? You think so? She twisted. The axe dropped from Magrat's fingers. And you wanted to be a witch? Bees were a brown fog, hiding the elves, too small to hit, impervious to glamour, but determined to kill. Magrat felt the bones scrape. "'The old witch is finished,' said the queen, forcing Magrat down. "'I won't say she wasn't good, but she wasn't good enough. "'And you certainly aren't.' "'Slowly and inexorably, Magrat was forced downwards. "'Why don't you try some magic?' said the queen. "'Magrat kicked. "'Her foot caught the queen on the knee, and she heard a crack.' As she staggered back, Magrat launched herself forward and caught her around the waist, bearing her to the ground. She was amazed at the lightness. Magrat was skinny enough, but the queen seemed to have no weight at all. "'Why?' she said, pulling herself up until the queen's face was level with hers. "'You're nothing. It's all in the mind, isn't it? Without the glamour, you're... "'An almost triangular face, a tiny mouth, the nose hardly existing at all, "'but eyes larger than human eyes, and now focused on Magrat in pinpoint terror.' "'Iron,' whispered the queen. Her hands gripped Magrat's arms. There was no strength there. An elf's strength lay in persuading others they were weak. Magrat could feel her desperately trying to enter her mind, but it wasn't working. The helmet was lying several feet away in the mud. She just had time to wish she hadn't noticed that, before the queen attacked again, exploding into her uncertainty like a nova. She was nothing. She was insignificant. She was so worthless and unimportant that even something completely worthless and exhaustively unimportant would consider her beneath contempt. In laying hands upon the Queen, she truly deserved an eternity of pain. She had no control of her body. She did not deserve any. She did not deserve a thing. The disdain sleeted over her, tearing the planetary body of Magrat Garlic to pieces. She'd never be any good. She'd never be beautiful or intelligent or strong. She'd never be anything at all. Self-confidence? Confidence in what? The eyes of the Queen were all she could see. All she wanted to do was lose herself in them. And the ablation of Magrat Garlic roared on, tearing at the strata of her soul, exposing the core. She bunched up a fist and hit the Queen between the eyes. There was a moment of terminal perplexity before the Queen screamed, and Magrat hit her again. Only one queen in a hive. Slash. Stab. They rolled over, landing in the mud. Magrat felt something sting her leg, but she ignored it. She took no notice of the noise around her, but she did find the battle-axe under her hand as the two of them landed in a peat puddle. The elf scrabbled at her, but this time without strength, and Magrat managed to push herself to her knees and raise the axe, and then noticed the silence. 
It flowed over the Queen's elves and Shornog's makeshift army as the glamour faded. There was a figure silhouetted against the setting moon. Its scent carried on the dawn breeze. It smelled of lion's cages and leaf mould. "'He's back!' said Nanny Og. She glanced sideways and saw Ridcully, his face glowing, raising his crossbow. "'Put it down,' she said. "'Will you look at the horns on that thing? Put it down! But uh, it'd go right through him. Look, you can see that tree through him. He's not really here. He can't get past the doorway, but he can send his thoughts. But I can smell him. If he was really here, he wouldn't still be standing up.' The elves parted as the king walked through. His hind legs hadn't been designed for bipedal walking. The knees were the wrong way round and the hooves were over large. It ignored them all and strutted slowly to the fallen queen. Magrat pulled herself to her feet and hefted the axe uncertainly. The queen uncoiled, leaping up and raising her hands, her mouth framing the first words of some curse. The king held out a hand and said something. Only Magrat heard it. Something about meeting by moonlight, she said later. And they awoke. The sun was well over the rim. People pulled themselves to their feet, staring at one another. There was not an elf in sight. Nanny Og was the first to speak. Witches can generally come to terms with what actually is, instead of insisting on what ought to be. She looked up at the moors. The first thing we do, she said, the first thing... He's put back the stones. The second thing, corrected Magrat. They both looked down at the still body of Granny Weatherwax. A few stray bees were flying disconsolate circles in the grass near her head. Nanny Og winked at Magrat. You did well there, girl. Didn't think you had it in you to survive an attack like that. Fairly had me whittling myself. I've had practice, said Magrat darkly. Nanny Og raised her eyebrows but made no further comment. Instead, she nudged Granny with her boot. "'Wake up, Esme,' she said. "'Well done. We won.' "'Esme?' Ridcully knelt down stiffly and picked up one of Granny's arms. "'It must have taken it all out of her, all that effort,' burbled Nanny, "'freeing McGrath and everything.' Ridcully looked up. "'She's dead,' he said. He thrust both arms underneath the body and got unsteadily to his feet. "'Oh, she wouldn't do a thing like that,' said Nanny, but in the voice of someone whose mouth is running on automatic because the brain has shut down. "'She's not breathing, and there's no pulse,' said the wizard. "'She's probably just resting.' "'Yes. Bees circled high in the blue sky.' Ponder and the librarian helped drag the stones back into position, occasionally using the bursar as a lever. He was going through the rigid phase again. They were unusual stones, Ponder noticed, quite hard and with a look about them that suggested that once long ago they had been melted and cooled. Jason Og found him standing deep in thought by one of them. He was holding a nail on a piece of string, but instead of hanging from the string the nail was almost at right angles and straining as if desperate to reach the stone. The string thrummed. Ponder watched it as though mesmerised. Jason hesitated. He seldom encountered wizards and wasn't at all sure how you were supposed to treat them. He heard the wizard say, It sucks. But why does it suck? Jason kept quiet. He heard Ponder say, Maybe there's iron and... and iron that loves iron. Or, or, or... 
or male iron and female iron, or, or common iron and royal iron. Some iron contains something else. Some iron makes a weight in the world, and other iron rolls down the rubber sheet. The bursar and the librarian joined him and watched the swinging nail. Damn, said Ponder, and let go of the nail. It hit the stone with a plink. He turned to the others with the agonised expression of a man who has the whole great whirring machinery of the universe to dismantle and only a bent paperclip to do it with. "'What ho, Mr Sunshine?' said the bursar, who was feeling almost cheerful with the fresh air and lack of shouting. "'Rocks! Why am I messing around with lumps of stone? When did they ever tell anyone anything?' said Ponder. "'You know, sir, sometimes I think there's a great ocean of truth out there, and I'm just sitting on the beach playing with... with stones!' He kicked the stone. "'But one day we'll find a way to sail that ocean,' he sighed. "'Come on. I suppose we'd better get down to the castle.' The librarian watched them join the procession of tired men who were staggering down the valley. Then he pulled at the nail a few times and watched it fly back onto the stone. Ooh. He looked up into the eyes of Jason Ogg. Much to Jason's surprise, the orangutan winked. Sometimes if you pay real close attention to the pebbles, you find out about the ocean. The clock ticked. In the chilly morning gloom of Granny Weatherwax's cottage, Nanny Ogg opened the box. Everyone in Lancre knew about Esme Weatherwax's mysterious box. It was variously rumoured to contain books of spells, a small private universe, cures for all ills, the deeds of lost lands and several tons of gold, which was pretty good going for something less than a foot across. Even Nanny Ogg had never been told about the contents apart from the will. She was a bit disappointed, but not at all surprised to find that it contained nothing more than a couple of large envelopes, a bundle of letters and a miscellaneous assortment of common items in the bottom. Nanny lifted out the paperwork. The first envelope was addressed to her and bore the legend To Gither Og Reedy This Nawi. The second envelope was a bit smaller and said The will of Esmeralda Weatherwax died Midsummer's Eve. And then there was a bundle of letters with a bit of string round them. They were very old. Bits of yellowing paper crackled off them as Magrat picked them up. They're all letters to her, she said. Nothing odd about that, said Nanny. Anyone can get letters. And there's all this stuff at the bottom, said Magrat. It looks like pebbles. She held one up. This one's got one of those curly fossil things in it, she said. And this one looks like that red rock the dancers were made of. It's got a darning needle stuck to it. How strange. She always paid attention to small details, did Esme. Always tried to see inside to the real thing. They were both silent for a moment and the silence wound out around them and filled the kitchen to be sliced into gentle pieces by the soft ticking of the clock. "'I never thought we'd be doing this,' said Magrat after a while. "'I never thought we'd be reading her will. "'I thought she'd keep on going forever.' "'Well, there it is,' said Nanny. "'Tempus fug it.' "'Nanny?' "'Yes, love.' "'I don't understand. She was your friend, but you don't seem, well, upset.' "'Well, I've buried a few husbands and one or two kiddies. "'You get the hang of it. "'Anyway, if she hasn't gone to a better place, "'she'll damn well be setting out to improve it. "'Nanny?' "'Yes, love. "'Did you know anything about the letter?' "'What letter?' "'The letter to Verence. "'Don't know anything about any letter to Verence. "'He must have got it weeks before we got back. "'She must have sent it even before we got to Aunt Moorpork.' Nanny Og looked, as far as Magrat could tell, genuinely blank. "'Oh, hell,' said Magrat. "'I mean this letter.' 
She fished it out of her breastplate. See? Nanny Arg read. Dear sire, this is to inform you that Margaret Garlic will be returning to Lancre on or about Blind Pig Tuesday. She is a wet hen, but she is clean and has got good teeth. If you wishes to marry her, then start arranging matters without delay, because if you just proposes and similar, she will lead you a dance, because there is no one like Margaret for getting in the way of her own life. She does not know her own mind. You are king, and you can do what you like. You must present her with a fate accompli. P.S. I hear there is talk about making witches pay tax. No kings of Lankra has tried this for many a year. You could profit from their example. Yours in good health at the moment. A friend. Mus. The ticking of the clock stitched the blanket of silence. Nanny Og turned to look at it. She arranged it all, said Magrat. You know what Verence is like. I mean, she hardly disguised who she was, did she? And I got back, and it was all arranged. What would you have done if nothing had been arranged, said Nanny. Magrat looked momentarily taken aback. Well, I would... I mean, if he... I, well, you'd be getting married today, would you? said Nanny, but in a distant voice, as if she was thinking about something else. Well, that depends on... You want to, don't you? Well, yes, of course. But... Well, that's nice, then, said Nanny, in what Magrat thought of as her nursery voice. Yes, but she pushed me on one side and shut me up in the castle, and I got so wound up. You were so angry that you actually stood up to the Queen. You actually laid hands on her, said Nanny. Well done. The old Magrat wouldn't have done that, would she? Esme could always see the real thing. Now nip out of the back door and look at the log pile. There's a love. But I hated her and hated her, and now she's dead. Yes, dear. Now go and tell Nanny about the log pile. Magrat opened her mouth to frame the words, I happen to be very nearly queen, but decided not to. Instead, she graciously went outside and looked at the log pile. It's quite high, she said, coming back and blowing her nose. Looks like it's just been stacked. And she wound up the clock yesterday, said Nanny, and the tea caddy's half full. I just looked. Well? She wasn't sure, said Nanny. Mm. She opened the envelope addressed to her. It was larger and flatter than the one holding the will and contained a single piece of card. Nanny read it and let it drop onto the table. Come on, she said. We ain't got much time. What's the matter? And bring the sugar bowl. Nanny wrenched open the door and hurried towards her broomstick. Come on! Magrat picked up the card. The writing was familiar. She'd seen it several times before, when calling on Granny Weatherwax unexpectedly. It said, I ain't dead. Halt! Who goes there? What you doing on guard with your arm in a sling, Sean? Duty calls, Mum. Well, let us in right now. Are you friend or foe, Mum? Sean, this is almost Queen Magrat here with me, right? Yes, but you've got to... Right now! Oh, Mum! Magrat tried to keep up with Nanny as she scurried through the castle. The wizard was right. She was dead, you know. I don't blame you for hoping, but I can tell when people are dead. No, you can't. I remember a few years ago you came running down to my house in tears, and it turned out she was just off borrowing. 
That's when she started using the sign. But she wasn't sure what was going to happen, said Nanny. That's good enough for me. Nanny, you never know until you look, said Nanny Og, expounding her own uncertainty principle. Nanny kicked open the doors to the great hall. What's all this? Ridcalley got up from his chair, looking embarrassed. Well, it, it, it didn't seem right to leave her all alone. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, said Nanny, gazing at the solemn tableau. Candles and lilies. I bet you pinched them yourself out the garden, and then you all shut her away indoors like this. Well, and no one even thought to leave a damn window open. Can't you hear them? Hear what? Nanny looked around hurriedly and picked up a silver candlestick. No. Magrat snatched it out of her hand. This happens to be, winding her arm back, very nearly, taking aim, my castle. The candlestick flew up, turning end over end, and hit a big stained glass window right in the centre. Fresh sunlight extruded down to the table, visibly moving in the disc's slow magical field, and down it, like marbles down a chute, the bees cascaded. The swarm settled on the witch's head, giving the impression of a very dangerous wig. What did you... Ridcully began. "'She's going to swank about this for weeks,' said Nanny. "'No one's ever done it with bees. "'Their minds everywhere, see? "'Not just in one bee, in the whole swarm. "'What are you?' "'Granny Weatherwax's fingers twitched. "'Her eyes flickered. "'Very slowly she sat up. "'She focused on Magrat and Nanny Og with some difficulty and said, "'I want a bunch of flowers, a pot of honey, and someone to sting. I brung the sugar bowl, Esme, said Nanny Og. Granny eyed it hungrily, and then looked at the bees that were taking off from her head like planes from a stricken carrier. Pour a drop of water on it, then, and tip it out on the table for them. She stared triumphantly at their faces as Nanny Og bustled off. I done it with bees. No one can do it with bees, and I done it. You ends up with your mind all flying in different directions. You've got to be good at it to do it with bees. Nanny Og sloshed the bowl of makeshift syrup across the table. The swarm descended. You're alive, Ridcully managed. That's what a university education does for you, said Granny, trying to massage some life back into her arms. You've only got to be sitting up and talking for five minutes and they can work out you're alive. Nanny Og handed her a glass of water. It hovered in the air for a moment and then crashed to the floor because Granny had tried to grasp it with her fifth leg. Oh, sorry. I knew you wasn't certain, said Nanny. Certain? Of course I was certain. Never in any doubt whatsoever. Magrat thought about the will. You never had a moment's doubt? Granny Weatherwax had the grace not to look her in the eye. Instead, she rubbed her hands together. Hmm. What's been happening while I've been away? Well, said Nanny, Magrat stood up to the... Oh, I knew she'd do that. Had the wedding, have you? Wedding? The rest of them exchanged glances. "'Of course not,' said Magrat. "'Brother Perdor of the Nine-Day Wanderers was going to do it all, "'and he was knocked out cold by an elf. "'And anyway, people are all—' "'Don't let's have any excuses,' said Granny briskly. "'Anyway, a senior wizard can conduct a service at a pinch. "'Ain't that right?' "'Uh, I, I, I think so,' 
said Ridcully, who was falling behind a bit in world events. Right, a wizard's only a priest without a god and a damp handshake, said Granny. But half the guests have run away, said Magrat. Yeah, we'll round up some more, said Granny. Mrs Scorbick will never get the wedding feast done in time. You'll have to tell her to, said Granny. The bridesmaids aren't here. We'll make do. I haven't got a dress. What's that you've got on? Magrat looked down at the stained chain mail, the mud-encrusted breastplate, and a few damp remnants of white silk that hung over them like a ragged tabard. Looks good to me, said Granny. Nanny'll do your hair. Magrat reached up instinctively, removed the winged helmet, and patted her hair. Bits of twigs and fragments of heather had twisted themselves in it with comb-breaking complexity. It never looked good for five minutes together at the best of times. Now it was a bird's nest. I think I'll leave it, she said. Granny nodded approvingly. That's the way of it, she said. It's not what you've got that matters, it's how you've got it. Well, we're just about ready then. Nanny leaned towards her and whispered, What? Oh, yes, Um, where's the groom? He's a bit muzzy. Not sure what happened, said Magrat. Perfectly normal, said Nanny, after a stag night. There were difficulties to overcome. We need a best man. Ooh, well, we'll at least put some clothes on. Mrs Scorbick, the cook, folded her huge pink arms. Can't be done, she said firmly. I thought perhaps just some salad and quiche and some light, Magrat said imploringly. The cook's whiskery chin stuck out firmly. Them elves turned the whole kitchen upside down, she said. It's gonna take me days to get it straight. Anyway, everyone knows raw vegetables are bad for you, and I can't be having with them eggy pies. Magrat looked beseechingly at Nanny Og. Granny Weatherwax had wandered off into the gardens, where she was getting a tendency to stick her nose in flowers right out of her system. Nothing to do with me, said Nanny. It's not my kitchen, dear. No, it's mine. I've been cook here for years, said Mrs Scorbick, and I know how things should be done, and I'm not going to be ordered around in me own kitchen by some chit of a girl. Magrat sagged. Nanny tapped her on the shoulder. You might need this at this point, she said, and handed Magrat the winged helmet. The king's been very happy with... Mrs Scorbick began... There was a click. She looked down the length of a crossbow and met Magrat's steady gaze. "'Go ahead,' said the Queen of Lancre softly. "'Bake my quiche.' Verence sat in his nightshirt with his head in his hands. He could remember hardly anything about the night except a feeling of coldness, and no one seemed very inclined to tell him. There was a faint creak as the door opened. He looked up. "'Glad to see you're up and about already,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'I've come to help you dress.' "'I've looked in the guardrobe,' said Verence. "'The elves, was it? "'They ransacked the place. "'There's nothing I can wear.' Granny looked around the room. Then she went to a low chest and opened it. There was a faint tinkling of bells and a flash of red and yellow. "'I thought you'd never threw them away,' she said. "'And you ain't put on any weight, so they'll still fit. "'On with the motley. "'Magrat'll appreciate it.' "'Oh, no,' said Verence. I, "'I'm very firm about this. I'm king now. "'It'd be demeaning for Magrat to marry a fool. "'I've got a position to maintain for the sake of the kingdom. "'Besides, there is such a thing as pride.' 
Granny stared at him for so long that he shifted uncomfortably. Well, there is, he said. Granny nodded and walked towards the doorway. Why are you leaving? said Verence nervously. I ain't leaving, said Granny quietly. I'm just shutting the door. And then there was the incident with the crown. Ceremonies and protocols of the kingdom of Lancre was eventually found after a hurried search of Verence's bedroom. It was very clear about the procedure. The new queen was crowned by the king as part of the ceremony. It wasn't technically difficult for any king who knew which end of a queen was which, which even the most inbred king figured out in two goes. But it seemed to ponder Stibbons that the ritual wobbled a bit at this point. It seemed, in fact, that just as he was about to lower the crown on the bride's head, he glanced across the hall to where the skinny old witch was standing, and nearly everyone else did too, including the bride. The old witch nodded very slightly. Magrat was crowned. Whack-a-fall, diddle-diddle, etc. The bride and groom stood side by side, shaking hands with the long line of guests in that dazed fashion normal at this point in the ceremony. I'm sure you'll be very happy. Thank you. Ook. Thank you. Nail it to the counter, Lord Ferguson, and damn the cheesemongers. Thank you. Can I kiss the bride? It dawned on Verence that he was being addressed by fresh air. He looked down. I'm sorry, he said. You are... My card, said Casanunda. Verence read it. His eyebrows rose. Oh, he said. Mm-hmm. Well, well, uh, number two, eh? I try harder, said Casanunda. Verence looked around guiltily and then bent down until his mouth was level with the dwarf's ear. Could I have a word with you in a minute or two? The Lancre Morris men got together again for the first time at the reception. They found it hard to talk to one another. Several of them jigged up and down absent-mindedly as they talked. All right, said Jason. Anyone remember? Really, remember? I, I remember the start, said Taylor, the other weaver. Definitely remember the start and, and the dancing in the woods. But the entertainment... There was elves in it, said Tinker the Tinker. That's why it all got buggered up, said Thatcher the carter. There was a lot of shouting, too. There was something with horns on, said Carter, and a great big... It was all, said Jason, a bit of a dream. Hey, look over there, Carter, said Weaver, winking at the others. There's that monkey. You've got something to ask it, ain't you? Carter blinked. Cool, yes, he said. "'Shouldn't waste the golden opportunity if I were with you,' said Weaver, "'with the happy malice often shown by the clever to the simple.' "'The librarian was chatting to Ponder in the bursar. "'He looked around as Carter prodded him. "'You've been over to Slice, then, have you?' he said in his cheery, open way. "'The librarian gave him a look of polite incomprehension. "'Ooh!' Carter looked perplexed. "'That's where you put your nut, ain't it?' The librarian gave him another odd look and shook his head. Ooh, ooh. Weaver, Carter shouted, the monkey says he didn't put his nut where the sun don't shine. You said he did. You didn't, did you? He said you did. He turned to the librarian. He didn't, Weaver. See, I know you'd got it wrong. You're daft. There's no monkeys in Slice. Silence flowed outwards from the two of them. Ponder Stibbons held his breath. This is a lovely party, said the bursar to a chair. I wish I was here. The librarian picked up a large bottle from the table. 
He tapped Carter on the shoulder, then he poured him a large drink and patted him on the head. Ponder relaxed and turned back to what he was doing. He'd tied a knife to a bit of string and was gloomily watching it spin round and round. On his way home that night, Weaver was picked up by a mysterious assailant and dropped into the Lanka. No one ever found out why. Do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, especially simian ones. They're not all that subtle. Others went home that night. "'She'll be getting ideas above her station in life,' said Granny Weatherwax, as the two witches strolled through the scented air. "'She's a queen. That's pretty high,' said Nanny Og. "'Almost as high as witches.' "'Yes, well, but you ain't got to give yourself airs,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'We're advantaged, yes, but we act with modesty, and we don't put ourselves forward. "'No one could say I haven't been decently modest all my life.' "'You've always been a bit of a shy violet. I've always said that,' said Nanny Og. "'I'm always telling people when it comes to humility, "'you won't find anyone more humile than Esme Weatherwax.' "'Always keep myself to myself and minded my own business.' "'Barely known you were there half the time,' said Nanny Og. "'I was talking, Githa. Sorry.' "'They walked along in silence for a while. "'It was a warm and dry evening. "'Birds sang in the trees. "'Nanny said, "'Funny to think of our Magrat being married and everything.' "'What do you mean, everything?' "'Well, you know. Married,' said Nanny. "'I gave her a few tips.' Always wear something in bed. Keeps a man interested. You always wore your hat. Right. Nanny waved a sausage on a stick. She always believed in stocking up on any free food that was available. I thought the wedding feast was very good, didn't you? And Magrat looked radiant, I thought. I thought she looked hot and flustered. That is radiant with brides. You're right, though, said Granny Weatherwax, who was walking a little way ahead. It was a good dinner. I never had this vegetarian option stuff before. When I married Mr. Og, we had three dozen oysters at our wedding feast. Mind you, they didn't all work. And I like the way they give us all a bit of the wedding cake in a little bag, said Granny. Right. You know, they says if you puts a bit under your pillow, you dream of your future husband. Nanny Og's tongue tripped over itself. She stopped embarrassed, which was unusual in an Og. It's all right, said Granny. I don't mind. Sorry, Esme. Everything happens somewhere, I know. I know. Everything happens somewhere, so it's all the same in the end. That's very continuing you and your thinking, Esme. Cake's nice, said Granny. But right now, don't know why, what I could really do with Githa right now is a sweet. The last word hung in the evening air like the echo of a gunshot. Nanny stopped. Her hand flew to her pocket where the usual bag of fluff-encrusted boiled sweets resided. She stared at the back of Esme Weatherwax's head, at the tight bun of grey hair under the brim of the pointy hat. Sweet, she said. I expect you've got another bag now, said Granny, without looking around. Esme? You got anything to say, Githa? About bags of sweets? Granny Weatherwax still hadn't turned round. Nanny looked at her boots. No, Esme? she said meekly. I knew you'd go up to the long man, you know. How'd you get in? Used one of those special horseshoes. Granny nodded. You didn't ought to have brung him into it, Githa. Yes, Esme. He's as tricky as she is. Yes, Esme. You're trying preemptive meekness on me. Yes, Esme. They walked a little further. 
What was that dance your Jason and his men did when they'd got drunk? said Granny. It's the long crust stick and bucket dance, says me. It's, uh, it's legal, is it? Technically, they shouldn't do it when there's women present, said Nanny. Otherwise, it's sexual morrisment. And I thought Magrat was very surprised when you recited that poem at the reception. Poem? The one where you did the gestures. Oh, that poem. I saw Verence making notes on his napkin. Nanny reached again into the shapeless recesses of her clothing and produced an entire bottle of champagne you could have sworn there was no room for. Mind you, I thought she looked happy, she said, standing there wearing about half of a torn, muddy dress and chainmail underneath. Hey, do you know what she told me? What? You know that old painting of Queen Unchie? You know, the one with the iron bodice? Her uh, with all the spikes and knives on a chariot? Well, she said she was sure the, uh, the spirit of Unchie was helping her. She said she wore the armour and she did things she'd never dare do. "'My word,' said Granny non-committally. "'Funny old world,' agreed Nanny. "'They walked in silence for a while. "'So you didn't tell her that Queen Inchie never existed, then?' "'No, no point. "'Old King Lully invented her entirely "'cause he thought we needed a bit of romantic history. "'He was a bit mad about that. "'He even had the armour made. "'I know. "'My great-grandma's husband hammered it out of a tin bath "'and a couple of saucepans.' "'But you didn't think you ought to tell her that?' "'No,' Granny nodded. "'Funny thing,' she said. "'Even when Magrat's completely different, she's just the same.' Nanny Og produced a wooden spoon from somewhere in her apron. Then she raised her hat carefully and lifted down a bowl of cream custard and jelly which she'd secreted there. Nanny Og was also a great picker-up of unconsidered trifles. Hmm. "'I really don't know why you pinches food the whole time,' said Granny. "'Verence would give you a bathful of the stuff if you asked. "'You know he don't touch custard himself.' "'Oh, it's more fun this way,' said Nanny. "'I deserve a bit of fun.' "'There was a rustling in the thick bushes and the unicorn burst through. "'It was mad. It was angry. "'It was in a world where it did not belong, and it was being driven. "'It poured the ground a hundred yards away and lowered its horn.' Whoops, said Nanny, dropping her just desserts. Come on, there's a tree here, come on. Granny Weatherwax shook her head. Nah, I ain't running this time. She couldn't get me before and she's trying through an animal, huh? Will you look at the size of the horn on that thing? I can see clear enough, said Granny calmly. The unicorn lowered its head and charged. Nanny Og reached the nearest tree with low branches and leapt upwards. Granny Weatherwax folded her arms. Come on, Esme! No, I ain't been thinking clear enough, but I am now. There's some things I don't have to run from. The white shape bulleted down the avenue of trees, a thousand pounds of muscle behind twelve inches of glistening horn. Steam swirled behind it. Esme! Circle time was ending. Besides, she knew now why her mind had felt so unravelled, and that was a help. She couldn't hear the ghostly thoughts of all the other Esme weatherwaxes anymore. Perhaps some lived in a world ruled by elves or had died long ago, or were living in what they thought were happy lives. Granny Weatherwax seldom wished for anything, because wishing was soppy, but she felt a tiny regret that she'd never been able to meet them. Perhaps some were going to die now, here on this path. Everything you did meant that a million copies of you did something else. Some were going to die. She'd sensed their future deaths, the deaths of Esme Weatherwax, and couldn't save them because chance did not work like that. 
On a million hillsides the girl ran. On a million bridges the girl chose. On a million paths the woman stood. All different, all one. All she could do for all of them was be herself, here and now, as hard as she could. She stuck out a hand. A few yards away the unicorn hit an invisible wall. Its legs flailed as it tried to stop, its body contorted in pain, and it slid the rest of the way to Granny's feet on its back. Githa, said Granny, as the beast tried to get upright, you'll take off your stockings and knot them into a halter and pass it to me, carefully. Esme? What? Ain't got no stockings on, Esme. What about the lovely red and white pair I gave you on Hogswatch night? I knitted them myself. You know how I hate knitting. Well, it's a warm night. I likes to, you know, let the air circulate. I had the devil of a time with the heels. Sorry, Esme. At least you'll be so good as to run up to my place and bring everything that's in the bottom of the dresser. Yes, Esme. But before that, you'll call in at your Jason's and tell him to get the forge good and hot. Nanny Og stared down at the struggling unicorn. It seemed to be stuck, terrified of Granny, but at the same time quite unable to escape. Oh, Esme, you're never going to ask our Jason to... I won't ask him to do anything, and I ain't asking you neither. Granny Weatherwax removed her hat, skimming it into the bushes. Then, her eyes never leaving the animal, she reached up to the iron-grey bun of her hair and removed a few crucial pins. The bun uncoiled a waking snake of fine hair, which unwound down to her waist when she shook her head a couple of times. Nanny watched in paralysed fascination as she reached up again and broke a single hair at its root. Granny Weatherwax's hands made a complicated motion in the air as she made a noose out of something almost too thin to see. She ignored the thrashing horn and dropped it over the unicorn's neck. Then she pulled. Struggling, its unshod hooves kicking up great clods of mud, the unicorn struggled to its feet. "'That'll never hold it,' said Nanny, sidling around the tree." I could hold it with a cobweb, Githa-ob, with a cobweb. Now, go about your business. Yes, Esme. The unicorn threw back its head and screamed. Half the town was waiting as Granny led the beast into Lancre, hooves skidding on the cobbles, because when you tell Nanny Og, you tell everyone. It danced at the end of the impossibly thin tether, kicking out at the terminally unwary, but never quite managing to pull free. Jason Ogg, still in his best clothes, was standing nervously at the open doorway to the forge. Superheated air vibrated over the chimney. Mr Blacksmith, said Granny Weatherwax, I have a job for you. Er, uh, said Jason, that's a unicorn, is that? Correct. The unicorn screamed again and rolled mad eyes at Jason. No one's ever put shoes on a unicorn, said Jason. Think of this, said Granny Weatherwax, as your big moment. The crowd clustered round, trying to see and hear, while keeping out of the way of the hooves. Jason rubbed his chin with his hammer. I don't know. Listen to me, Jason Ogg, said Granny, hauling on the hair as the creature skittered around in a circle. You can shoo anything anyone brings you. And there's a price for that, ain't there? Jason gave Nanny Ogg a panic-stricken look. She had the grace to look embarrassed. She never told me about it said Granny, with her usual ability to read Nanny's expression through the back of her own head. She leaned closer to Jason, almost hanging from the plunging beast. The price for being able to shoe anything, anything that anyone brings you, is having to shoe anything anyone brings you. The price for being the best is always having to be the best, and you pays it, same as me. 
The unicorn kicked several inches of timber out of the doorframe. But iron, said Jason, and nails. Yes? Iron'll kill it, said Jason. If I nail iron to un, I'll kill un. Killing's not part of it. I've never killed anything. I was up all night with that ant. It never felt a thing. I won't hurt a living thing that never done me no harm. Did you get that stuff from my dresser, Githa? Yes, Esby. Bring it in here, then. And you, Jason, you just get that forge hot. But if I nail iron to it... Oh, did I say anything about iron? The horn took a stone out of the wall, a foot from Jason's head. He gave in. You'll have to come in to keep it calm, then, he said. I've never shot a stallion like this, and without two men and a boy are hanging on to it. It'll do when it's told, Granny promised. It can't cross me. It murdered old Scrope, said Nanny Og. I wouldn't mind him killing it. Then shame on you, woman, said Granny. It's an animal. Animals can't murder. Only us superior races can murder. That's one of the things that sets us apart from animals. Give me that sack. She towed the fighting animal through the big double doors, and a couple of the villagers hurriedly swung them shut. A moment later, a hoof kicked a hole in the planking. Ridcully arrived at a run, his huge crossbow slung over his shoulder. They told me the, um, unicorn had turned up again. Another board splintered. In there? Nanny nodded. She dragged it all the way from down the woods, she said. But the damn thing's savage. Nanny Og rubbed her nose. Yes, well, but, um, she's qualified, ain't she? when it comes to unicorn taming. Nothing to do with witchcraft. Um, uh, what do you mean? I thought there were some things everyone knew about trapping unicorns, said Nanny archly. Who could trap them is what I'm delicately hinting at. She always could run faster than you, couldn't Esme? She could outdistance any man. Ridcully stood there with his mouth open. Now me, said Nanny, I'd always trip over first old tree route I came to. Took me ages to find one sometimes. You mean, after I went, she never... Don't get soft ideas. It's all one at that time of life anyway, said Nanny. It'd never have crossed her mind if you hadn't turned up. An associated thought seemed to strike her. You haven't seen Casanunda, have you? Hello, my little rosebud, said a cheerful, hopeful voice. Nanny didn't even turn round. You do turn up when people are looking, she said. Famed for it, Mrs. Og. There was silence from inside the forge. Then they could make out the tap, tap, tap of Jason's hammer. What are they doing in there? said Ridcully. It's stopping it kicking, whatever it is, said Nanny. What was in the sack, Mrs. Og? said Casanunda. What she told me to get, said Nanny. Her old silver tea set, family heirloom. I've only ever seen it but twice, and once was just now when I put it in the sack. I don't think she's ever used it. It's got a cream jug shaped like a humorous cow. More people had arrived outside the forge. The crowd stretched all the way across the square. The hammering stopped. Jason's voice, quite close, said, We're coming out now. They're coming out now, said Nanny. What did she say? She said they're coming out now. They're coming out now! The crowd pulled back. The doors swung open. Granny emerged, leading the unicorn. It walked sedately, muscles moving under its white coat like frogs in oil, and its hooves clattered on the cobbles. 
Ridcully couldn't help noticing how they shone. It walked politely alongside the witch until she reached the centre of the square, then she turned it loose and gave it a light slap on the rump. It whinnied softly, turned, and galloped down the street towards the forest. Nanny Og appeared silently behind Granny Weatherwax as she watched it go. "'Silver shoes,' she said quietly. "'They'll last no time at all.' "'And silver nails. They'll last for long enough,' said Granny, speaking to the world in general. "'And she'll never get it back, though she calls it for a thousand years.' "'Shoeing the unicorn,' said Nanny, shaking her head. "'Only you'd think of shoeing a unicorn, Esme.' "'I've been doing it all me life,' said Granny. "'Now the unicorn was a speck on the moorland. "'As they watched, it disappeared into the evening gloom. "'Nanny Og sighed and broke whatever spell there was. "'So, that's it, then?' "'Yes.' "'Are you going to the dance up at the castle?' "'Are you?' "'Well, Mr. Casanunda did ask if I could show him the long man. "'You know, properly. "'I suppose it's, it's him being a dwarf.' They're very interested in, in, in earthworks. Can't get enough of them, said Casanunda. Granny rolled her eyes. Act your age, Githa. Act? Don't have to act. Can do it automatic, said Nanny. Acting half my age. Now that's the difficult trick. Anyway, you didn't answer me. To the surprise of Nanny and of Ridcully, and possibly even of Granny Weatherwax herself, she slipped her arm around Ridcully's arm. Mr. Ridcully and I are going to have a stroll down to the bridge. Oh, we are, said Ridcully. Oh, that's nice. Githa Og, if you keep on looking at me like that, I shall give you a right ding around the ear. Oh, sorry, Esme, said Nanny. Good. I expect you, uh, you want to talk about old times. Nanny volunteered. Maybe old times, maybe other times. The unicorn reached the forest and galloped onwards. The waters of the Lancre gushed below. No one crossed the same water twice, even on a bridge. Ridcully dropped a pebble. It went plunk. It all works out, said Granny Weatherwax, somewhere. Your young wizard knows that. He just puts daft words around it. He'd be quite bright if only he'd look at what's in front of him. He wants to stay here for a while, said Ridcully gloomily. He flicked another pebble into the depths. Seems fascinated by the stones. I can't say no, can I? The king's all for it. He says other kings have always had fools, so he'll try having a wise man around just in case that works better. Granny laughed. And there's young Diamanda going to be up and about any day now, she said. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. That's the thing about the future. It could turn out to be anything. And everything. She picked up a pebble. It hit the water at the same time as one of Ridcully's own, making a double plunk. Uh, do you think, said Ridcully, that uh, somewhere it all went right? Yes. Here. Granny softened at the sight of his sagging shoulders. But there, too, she said. What? I mean that somewhere Mustrum Ridcully married Esmeralda Weatherwax and they lived... Granny gritted her teeth. Lived happily ever after, more or less. 
as much as anyone does. Oh, how do you know? I've been picking up bits of her memories. She seemed happy enough, and I ain't easily pleased. How can you do that? I try to be good at everything I do. Did she say anything about... She didn't say nothing. She don't know we exist. Don't ask questions. It's enough to know that everything happens somewhere, isn't it? Ridcully tried to grin. Is that the best you can tell me, he said. It's the best there is, or the next best thing. Where does it end? When Howell, the playwright, turned up with the rest of the troupe next day, they told him all about it, and he wrote it down. But he left out all the bits that wouldn't fit on a stage, or were too expensive, or which he didn't believe. In any case, he called it The Taming of the Vole, because no one would be interested in a play called Things That Happened on a Midsummer Night. On a summer night, with couples going their own ways, and silky purple twilight growing between the trees. From the castle, long after the celebrations had ended, faint laughter and the ringing of little silver bells. And from the empty hillside, only the silence of the elves. That is The End of Lords and Ladies by Terry Pratchett, and it was read by Nigel Planer.